a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Very pleased to have joining us on the program today, Justin Logan, who's a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, uh, had a great uh, article that appeared in The Week uh, and uh, focused really on Europe and what is happening in Ukraine, what is going on with Vladimir Putin and Russia's invasion of Ukraine uh, and makes such a fascinating case. Uh, Justin, thanks for joining us on the program today. Thanks for having me. So your your premise on this is that Europe can stand on its own, that the United States doesn't have to be in the middle of the middle of everything. Uh, share, share that with our, uh, with our listeners. Yeah, that's right. So the United States has been the central actor in European security affairs since at least the, well, since the end of World War II, really. And American officials have been complaining about that fact since then. Uh, Eisenhower in 1959 complained that um, the European states, by sort of free riding on American exertions, were making uh, Uncle Sam into Uncle Sucker, as he put it in a meeting. And President Kennedy, who was pretty hawkish about Europe, uh, complained that NATO states were not paying their fair share and they were, quote, living off the fat of the land. So American officials have complained about uh, European uh, inattention to their own security for, you know, 60 or 70 years now. And what you've seen in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine is a metastasizing sense of seriousness among, you know, NATO powers about European security. So the Germans have said they're going to take their uh, percentage of GDP spent on defense up to 2%, which is a huge increase. The Poles have said they're going to increase defense spending, and this is all happening in a context where the French have been leading this effort to create so-called strategic autonomy, a Europe that can sort of uh, do security on its own. So we argue in this piece that this is the sort of shock therapy. This is the moment where, you know, the Europeans have sort of woken up and said, oh, we don't just live in this tranquil post-war world. We actually need to do things for our own defense, and it would be good for the United States to push that forward. Uh, and again, the backdrop of the president heading uh, over there uh, to NATO meetings in Europe, I think, is uh, is a significant time for this. Uh, and, and it is a really interesting question. Uh, so, so let's start with is 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 Europe really ready to do that? Uh, obviously, they're increasing spending, as you mentioned, in uh, Germany, Poland, France, and and some others. Uh, are they are they ready to do that, or are they still dependent on the U.S. providing the weapons and and kind of the systems? Well, there are a couple questions here. First of all, we've been worried about a Russian threat that had a shot at uh, invading Poland or, or, you know, sort of other NATO members. And what we've seen is a Russian invasion of Ukraine, which is a much weaker state than Poland, um, with a terrible concept of operations that it implemented extremely poorly. So this is not uh, a military superpower. They, they have been 
just embarrassingly inept and incompetent against a much weaker foe. When it comes to whether Europe, you know, sort of Western Europe can, or Central Europe can defend itself, I think there's a couple things that need to happen. One, um, the Americans need to sort of take a step back and encourage the Europeans to step forward for themselves. And secondly, what this is, and this gets into sort of military industrial complex type situations, the Europeans, if they spend more and are effective at defending themselves, are going to want to develop a more robust defense industrial base on their own. So for the same reason that the United States likes uh, spending on defense and buying airplanes and ships and things that are made in the United States, the Europeans are going to seek to develop more capability to build materiel in Europe. And I think that's a useful trade-off um, if, if the Europeans sort of are buying more of their own equipment, if in fact the United States can take a step back and allow Europeans to play the central role in European security. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting uh, thing. And, and so you uh, you mentioned these historic moments of, you know, not paying the fair share and living off the lamb and, and, and some of those kinds of things. And, and we've even seen that in recent years in terms of, hey, the U.S. is uh, you know tired of being the uh, the police of the world or ty- tired of always having to do this. Uh, as President Biden heads over to these uh, crucial meetings in the midst of this conflict in Ukraine, uh, is is this the moment where the president can really, uh, I always use the term lead from the middle, uh, so often we're leading from the, from the front, um, but sometimes there is a case to be made from leading from the middle, and, and can he do that, and uh, will that be an effective strategy to nudge Europe towards maybe uh, some more independence in terms of their ability to defend? I think he could do it, although I doubt that he will. I think that the transatlantic relationship is thought of in Washington, D.C. as very much an American-led endeavor. And I think that includes President Biden, who was referred to the U.S. commitment to NATO, for example, as, quote, sacred on a number of occasions. So whatever one's uh, religious or confessional belief, if you have a sacred belief, you take that very seriously. Um, I think that this shock to the European sensibility is the perfect opportunity to take a step back and allow the Europeans to look with clear eyes at the security context in which they find themselves. There are real security threats to Europe, but again, as the Russians have showed, they are not 10 feet tall by any stretch of the imagination and indeed are being held off uh, reasonably handily by a much smaller, much poorer, much weaker Ukraine. So the idea that uh, the Russia that is blundering in Ukraine is going to plunge into Central or Western Europe on the other side, stretch their supply lines out several hundred more miles, uh, just sort of defies belief. So we have, on the one hand, a shock, a startling uh, turn of events that has sort of taken the Europeans by the lapels a little bit. But also, it is not a, an overwhelming military power. It is not the Soviet Union in 1952 or 1953. So we have a little bit of margin of error there. Uh, I think that's so interesting. This uh, it really is kind of this awakening of you know it's, it's kind of the emperor has no clothes moment, uh, and, and hopefully the the European uh, allies there will recognize uh, as you, I love the way you put it, Justin. That Russia is not ten feet tall uh, on this thing and, and bulletproof, uh, and so hopefully that gets some confidence. Uh, last question for you, Justin. As as you look at things moving forward, again, the president's visit, visit coming up here over the next several days, uh, and as things move forward the next few weeks in Ukraine, what is it that you're watching for, or what should we be looking? 
looking at uh, in terms of this policy and uh, how we can be effective there? I think that the Biden administration has shared the assumptions of its predecessor, both the Trump administration and the Barack Obama administration, that the center of gravity in the international system is switching to Asia. But they've been really frustrated um, by the extent to which first the Afghanistan withdrawal and now the war in Ukraine has sort of sucked the oxygen out of the foreign policy uh, space in Washington, D.C. And I think the question is whether or not Biden can can effectively um, emphasize the European role in providing security for Europe so that the United States can focus on what there seems to be a consensus in Washington about, which is that the security problems for the United States and indeed for the world lie mostly in Asia. So I think this is a real moment where we're going to be able to figure out whether the United States is able to prioritize. Um, and it really at a low cost, right? If you look right. at French uh, military capabilities, UK military capabilities, um, they're nothing to sniff at. I think they could be more, and I think they're likely to be more. Um, but this, we should be pushing Europe together, uh, not putting ourselves at the center of European security. Uh, fantastic. Great insight. Uh, Justin Logan, uh, senior fellow at Cato Institute. Uh, great piece again in the week. Europe can stand on its own. The Ukraine invasion proves it. Uh, wonderful insight. And appreciate you coming on today, Justin. We'll uh, definitely have you back as uh, all of this moves forward. My pleasure. We're going to step aside for one last commercial break. When we come back, some final thoughts. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.